let us pray. Father, you are God all by yourself. We thank you for the living word. We thank you for Jesus. That's what we call him. We thank you that he is our Savior and our Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for this, this hour of worship, Lord. Lord, I pray that I may decrease and that Christ would increase. People will see less and less of me, even more and more of Jesus, dear God. It's our prayer that Jesus would be lifted up this morning in the beauty of his holiness. And Lord, it's our prayer that you would get to have your way in this place today, for this is your house. It is a house of prayer, a house of worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We thank God for this opportunity to worship him today in spirit and in truth. And uh, we should never take it lightly that God has allowed us to come to this sacred spot just one more time. Uh, there's nothing that we've done that we deserve the right to be here. It's only by his grace and mercy that we're sitting where we're sitting today. And that in itself is enough to say thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's say a stronger thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 You know, we thank God for our, our gospel choir. I uh, just want to thank God. Let's give them another hand. And I had, I had a moment with Elias when we were just greeting, and I told him I've been thinking about uh, Reverend Alan Belton all week and um, just the impact that he made on my life. And uh, just thank God for his legacy uh, that it continues. Well, Pastor, Pastor George on last Sunday just preached a powerful message uh, entitled, When I'm Alone in a Crowd. And one of the things that really leaped out at me uh, last Sunday was a statement that he made that, that we all have a hidden loneliness. Uh, no matter how many people we are surrounded by, how many loved ones we are surrounded by, there is a hidden loneliness that only sometimes only God is aware of. I thought about how true, how true that is, and, and also that there is a hidden fear that we all have, uh, that, uh, that only God knows about. Uh, there's a fear that keeps us stagnated in our Christian walk, and that's what this message is about today, uh, when I'm stuck in my fear. How do we, how do we get unstuck uh, in our fears, from our fears? But I want to call your attention to John chapter 19, beginning at verse 38, and I invite you to stand with me as we read the word together. Sing your pew Bibles on page 882, and it's also on the screen. John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42. Let us read together 
After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it in spices and linen cloths, according to the burial customs of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was Jewish day of the preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord lasts forever. Amen. You may be seated. When I'm stuck in my fear. Here's the, the big idea of this passage is that Jesus illuminates our godless fears to give us countercultural courage. That the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus, he sheds light on our godless fears. And such is the case in this passage today, and that he gives these two unseemingly disciples of, of him, distant followers of him, countercultural courage. So when I'm stuck in my fear, how do I get unstuck? Fear is, is very real. And no doubt, many of us here today, we have hidden fears that our loved ones don't know about, that our spouses don't know about, that we have hidden fears that keep us back, keep us stagnated, keep us from reaching our full potential uh, that what Jesus has in store for us. God wants us to move forward, but we're so paralyzed by fear, uh, fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of crowds. Whatever the fears we have, it causes anxiety and it keeps us stagnated. In this, in this passage of Scripture, we are introduced to two men, Joseph of Arimathea, who overcomes his fears, and Nicodemus. As many of, some of us know, may be familiar with Nicodemus in chapter 3. Uh, Jesus has an interaction with Nicodemus, and he begins to go into dialogue with him and talk about how can a man be born again and enter into his mother's womb a second time. And Jesus begins to elaborate on what Scripture teaches and also that this is a spiritual reality and you cannot understand it physically. And so here we find these two men in this passage of Scripture, we look at verse 38, it says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one, which is, John puts this in here for us to pay, pay attention to it, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. The crucifixion has 
just taken place. Jesus has uh, given up the spirit. He, he, has, he has died, and there he is on the cross. And no doubt there were those who were standing around, and I imagine Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus was standing by somewhere wondering what's the next step now that he's dead. And I, I can only imagine what was going on in their minds. It's interesting because this, this passage is recorded in all four Gospels. All four Gospels talks about Joseph of Arimathea going to Pilate and requesting that he might remove the body of Jesus. Now, this is very significant because Joseph and Nicodemus are a part of the Sanhedrin, which is a, a, a group of 70 elders who religiously and politically run Jerusalem. They're still under Roman Empire, but they run Jerusalem. And Joseph and Nicodemus are rich men. They are well off. They have a lot of prestige. They are a part of the religious aristocracy of Jerusalem. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. Matthew tells us that he was rich and that he dissented from the policy and actions of the Sanhedrin regarding Jesus. Remember, the Sanhedrin were the, the individuals who were plotting to have Jesus killed. So Joseph and Nicodemus were part of that group. Joseph alone adds, apart from the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he adds, but a secret one because of fear of the Jews. So let's, let's think about what's happening here because Joseph goes to Pilate. Pilate, you know, the one who said, what is truth? And the one who questioned Jesus and the one who said, you know, who, who should we uh, Barabbas, or who should we allow to go free? This is the, the pilot that, uh, that is talking, that he's talking to. Joseph goes up to Pilate. And I love what Mark says. He said, Joseph goes up to Pilate boldly and requests for Jesus' body. Now, it's interesting because he says he's a, he's, he's a secret disciple. He's been following Jesus from a distance uh, because of the fear of the Jews. So here we have someone who, who's scared to lose their position. Uh, they, they're more afraid of the, of the Sanhedrin than they are of God. The question comes, how did... Joseph and Nicodemus get unstuck. I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> How did they move away from fear and enter into the realm of faith? Something happened between Jesus' death on the cross and Joseph making a move to, to request for Jesus' body. What happened? The first thing I notice in this text is interesting because Joseph is coupled with Nicodemus, that they're the only two on the Sanhedrin that I imagine who probably confided 
in one another. They may have become confidants and friends, and they may have perhaps become spiritual friends and confided in one another and became more and more infatuated with Jesus. And perhaps that old, that old verse in Proverbs 27, 17 is, iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. Maybe Nicodemus and Joseph were interacting with one another in such a way that I don't know who, who influenced who, but Nicodemus had a conversation with Jesus. Joseph, uh, it seems like maybe they began to talk about Jesus and think about uh, Jesus in terms of what uh, history says about Jesus and about him being the Messiah. But nevertheless, they became friends. They confided in one another. So how did they move from fear to faith? Well, the first thing I think happened is they had to break from their past. They had to make a decision. They had to break with the past. And this is clear that that is exactly what happened. It says that they, they buried Jesus' body. Look at what it says here in, in, in verse 39 and 40. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in with the spices and linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. The interesting thing about this passage is that, this verse is that they didn't pay anybody to do this for, for them. They didn't hire any of the ladies to, to come and say, won't you prepare Jesus' body? They didn't hire any servants to do it. But Joseph, a rich man, Nicodemus, a rich man, took it upon themselves to prepare the body of Jesus. In other words, brothers and sisters, Jesus', Jesus death on the cross was, was a bloody death. And can you imagine these two men associating themselves with lowering the body of Jesus, roll, rolling up their religious sleeves, and begin to take Jesus' body to Joseph's new tomb, but to prepare his body Wipe all the blood off, the wipe, that, that make Jesus, make sure he's clean, and then put these herbs and spices on him. They gave him a burial that was fit for a king. Historians tell us that the amount of myrrh and aloe weighing 100 pounds was, uh, was enough that was fit for burying a king. Jesus' body, who he was supposed to be, he was associated with the criminals, was supposed to be buried outside the camp, not to have a funeral, a burial of this magnitude. This tells us something about Joseph. It tells us something about Nicodemus. The interesting thing here is that Joseph and Nicodemus were not around a with Jesus in his living. But they made a decision that if I, that I failed Jesus in my living, in, in his living and hanging out with him in his living, and now I'm making a decision to be with him in his death. 
And the, the, the irony about this is that the disciples were with Jesus in his living for three years. They watched him raise the dead. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him do all of these great miracles, but they were nowhere to be found in Jesus' death. But there, Joseph and Nicodemus were with Jesus in his death. But I can only imagine what they were thinking that now they were probably saying, you know what, this, this is going to get us in a lot of trouble with the Sanhedrin. This may get us kicked off of the Sanhedrin. The people are going to look at us differently, but they took the risk of faith to be identified with Jesus in his death. They broke with the past. Burying Christ was an act of kindness. It was an act of courage. It was a break with the past. They were living a life of fear and not a life of faith. Fear had paralyzed them. It had them stuck, but faith pushed them forward. And that's what fear does with us. It paralyzes us. It keeps us from being what God wants us to be in doing what God wants us to do. And we begin to think, like, if I do move forward, then what will people think about me? The question comes today, brothers and sisters, in what area of our lives that we need to break with the past? What, 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 are, what are some fears in our lives that we need to break with the past, that we need to be more aware of of who God is and what God has in store for us. We need to understand that God has a plan for us. For them, the future was, more, was a more precious thing than holding on to the past. You know, I like what Anne Lamott said. She said, courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. I imagine that Nicodemus and Joseph had a prayer meeting. They must say, you know, you know we, 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 we're going we're gonna to need some prayer. We, we need to pray for one another. We need to bathe one another in prayer before we do this. And I imagine once they had that, that prayer meeting, when they prayed that God would be with them, that they prayed that God would give them courage, that God even in the context of their fear, prayer covered the fear and gave them courage. I think that's what we need to do sometimes. Sometimes we, we, we fail to, to understand that God wants to move us forward. And how many times has fear paralyzed us? So break with the past today. Break with the past. Break with how you how you are interacting with Jesus because there, there's a before Jesus behavior and there's an after Jesus behavior. Sometimes before Jesus, we, 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 are, we are crippled by fear. We are paralyzed by fear. But after Jesus, we should be able to move in the realm of faith. We should be. It's not always the case because we all are a work in progress. Secondly, we see here, not only did they have to break with the past, but they had to live a public faith. Understand that Joseph and Nicodemus, 
is a microcosm of every Christian who wants to play it safe and straddle the fence between godless fear and godly fear. At some point in our Christian journey, fear has to give, give way to faith in order for us to be real and authentic. At some point, some point in our Christian journey, fear has to give way to faith. That there's this godless fear that sometimes we, we have that, we, don't, that we, we see people as being bigger than God. And that's godless, godless fear. Godly fear is, is exalting God only that we begin to see God as bigger than people, that he's bigger than our enemies. And that's where some of us are today. We, we, we're afraid to go public with our faith. We have a personal relationship with Jesus, but at some point that personal relationship should lead to public convictions. That there are things that, that Jesus, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't just have a personal faith. Can you imagine God the Son having a personal faith but never went public with his faith? His very actions show that he had a public faith. But here's the thing what we got to understand in the 21st century is understand that, that God is bigger than Microsoft. Let me let that sink in. God is bigger than Boeing. You know, I was coming after you too. God is bigger than Google, he's bigger than Facebook, he's bigger than Instagram. Many times we treat God like he's an employee of Microsoft. But we've got to understand today that the God that we serve is, is bigger than these entities. And as long as we're with God, we are the majority. We have to go public with our faith. We have been called to live a public faith. Jesus lived a public faith, and if we are followers of him, our personal convictions should lead us to go public with our faith. You know, Dr. King was known for saying that faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. On April 4th, 1968, Dr. King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. On April 3rd, he delivered a message called, I've been to the mountaintop. And the story behind that, that, that sermon was that they were telling Dr. King, even his closest friends were saying, don't go to Memphis. You, 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 have, you have bigger fish to fry. You don't need to go to Memphis to advocate for some sanitation worker, workers. And Dr. King said to his dearest friends, he says, I'm not worried about what's going to happen to me if I don't go to Memphis. What I'm worried about is what's going to happen to them if I don't go to Memphis. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, Jesus and, and, and Martin Luther King went public with their faith. Martin Luther King could have 
stayed in Montgomery and become an average pastor, preached every sermon, preached every Sunday, and, and went back home and relaxed, visited a few sick people in the hospital, but he decided to go public with his faith. He decided to go public with his faith, faith, and even on that night when he preached, he said, I'm not fearing any man. I'm not fearing anybody because I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get to the promised land. Those were his words. That, that, that sounds like someone who had courage to me. That sounds like somebody who had gone public with their faith. I think in this 21st century, God is calling the church to leave a comfortable Christianity and move toward a courageous Christianity. God is calling the church to come out of hiding, to come from beyond the four doors of the church and go public with their faith. God is calling us to invest in the kingdom. You see, the beautiful thing about Joseph, and Mark says this, and the other gospel writer says that, they, that he was looking toward the kingdom of God. What a beautiful expression. Didn't say that about Nicodemus, but here it says that Joseph was looking for the kingdom of God. In other words, in the back of Joseph's mind, even though he was serving on the Sanhedrin, he says, something bigger, there's something bigger than this. There's something bigger than this religious aristocracy. There's something bigger than, than this in Jerusalem. There's somebody bigger than this. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. Joseph was among those individuals who were changed when he saw Jesus on the cross. There were four people who were changed in the process of Jesus' death, the criminal that was dying on the cross, and he said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. There was a Roman soldier when he saw the earth shaking and the, the sun refusing to shine. The Roman soldier said, surely this is the Son of God. But then there was Joseph and Nicodemus standing somewhere at a distance watching Jesus on the cross and having a conversation with his father and with John and Mary. There he was. No doubt that had an impact on Joseph and Nicodemus. And so they, in, they decided to invest their resources in the kingdom. They decided to Joseph decided to, to give Jesus his new tomb in, the, in a place that had never, uh, never a body had been buried. There he was. Joseph said, I'm going to invest in Jesus and in the kingdom. Because he didn't know that that was a setup for Jesus to get up early Sunday morning. He, he, didn't, he didn't know that that's, that's where Jesus, that's, that's where Jesus was getting ready to do the greatest act of greatest miracle that was ever performed, Jesus was raised by the Father from the dead. It's the thing, brothers and sisters, we have to believe in the bigness of God. And this is what Joseph was, was thinking, that he, was, he looked for the kingdom of God because he believed in the bigness of God. 
John is setting before us a prime example of two men who used their resources to glorify Jesus and in doing so chose to become genuine followers of Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity today to go public with our faith. You may have neighbors who don't even know that you're a Christian. They watch you pull out of the garage every morning to go to work. They watch you come back in the evening, pull back in the garage. No interactions with your neighbors. Somebody needs to know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You need to come from high, come out of hiding. But here's the thing. Your presence can make a difference in your neighbor's life. There was an old song that we used to sing back home, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. If we're not willing to bear the cross, we, we can't expect to wear a crown. This is what Joseph and Nicodemus teaches us, brothers and sisters, that we must go public with our faith. There are neighbors that need to know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. There are co-workers that need to know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. There are people, people in your family that need to know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And it can make all the difference in the world, just as it did with Joseph and Nicodemus. God is calling us to go public with our faith, faith and to be courageous in following Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for Joseph of Arimathea. We thank you for Nicodemus who went public with their faith that they were, even though they were not with you in your living, they were with you in your dying. And so, Lord God, we pray that we know that there's a little bit of Joseph in all of us, there's a little bit of Nicodemus in all of us, dear God, and there may be somebody in this room, somebody on the radio, somebody online, dear God, that you're trying to draw them to you. Lord, would you make it clear to them right now that you want them to be a part of your family, you want them to have life and have it more abundantly. You don't want them to be lonely. You don't want them to be paralyzed by fear. You want them to be all that you have created them to be. Lord, would you do what only you can do? And we'll be careful to give you the praises and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.